I gotta tell you, you gotta be careful. You start clapping out loud, you know, that's when stuff gets crazy, all right? Go with your, uh, in your Bibles with me. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I was kind of thinking um, about what to speak on. You know, we were talking about the judgment of God and the, the morning hour and just, you know, what it is to look at the world and the state that it's in. And it's easy to lose hope as if you're a Christian. Um, just wondering if God has forsaken us, wondering if God has left off his hand. How could he do what he does? But we know it's his long-suffering, amen. And then we also talked about the judgment that a Christian is going to face at the judgment seat of Christ and how that ought to motivate us. You know, and there's a terror to it too. Paul said, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. So I was kind of thinking on what to speak on this morning, and really in brief, I just wanted to give you an exhortation. Um, it's something that's really been on my heart lately, and it kind of spurred out of devotions that I have with Ray. So at night, you know, we always get out the Bible and we just kind of, we read a passage or we talk uh, through a specific subject or we do our verses or whatnot. And she, she trusted Christ, um, you know, a few months back. But sometimes she'll ask me questions and she'll say, Daddy, I don't understand. And I, and in myself, you know, I, I try to think about how to relay this to her in a way that she can understand. And, it, and then I get convicted in my own heart. I'm like, you don't even know all that you should about this. You know, you don't even know how to tell this to a child. And so it really convicted me. And I've been thinking about it a lot lately. And, and what I want to talk this morning about is the gospel. Now, to Christians, um, a lot of times we think of the gospel and, and we think we know it, right? We know it pretty good. But in reality, I hope by the end of the service that, that you ask yourself, do I really know what the gospel means and what it is, right? Because it's more than just a it's more than just a creed, right? It's more than just a dogma. It's more than just a series of, of statements, right? The Muslims, they have, they have their confession. Um, and, and all that it takes to be a convert to Muslims, you have to confess in Allah, Right? You have to believe the Quran, you have to, you have to say this prayer, and then you're in. Right? That's, that's as simple as it is, but to the, to the believer, it's so much more uh, when we trust Christ. And so I want to talk about that this morning. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, just thank you for today. Thank you for this church. Thank you again, God, that we can still speak your, your name freely. God, for how long or ever you know, they'll allow us to do it, Lord, we'll speak it. And we just pray that you just touch our hearts, that you'd revive us, Lord, and that you'd help us to more better understand this thing that we call the gospel. Lord, we praise you in all things. In Jesus' name. You, know, you think about the gospel, man. It, over time, Christians are constantly trying to change it, right? We're constantly trying to dilute it, to dumb it down, right? So that we might give it to people, right? And we talked about this morning about trying to change the things of God to make people feel comfortable. And that's not always a good thing, right? What we've done is we've diluted the gospel so far down that, that really we've robbed it of its essence. And we've robbed it of its power. We've robbed God, as we talked about this morning, we've changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man. And that's that's what the church has done, right? We've just took all the things of God that used to be so holy, so revered, and we brought them down to a level that's just, uh, it, it just it, it's powerless nowadays. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, right? They have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. Well, the way Paul knew the gospel is he didn't know it as a statement, right? He didn't know it as something that he'd done in time times past. He knew it in its power and in, in its totality, right? It absolutely changed his life. And so I just want to talk briefly this morning about the gospel. You know, people, when we think about this, we're so concerned by ourselves, right? We try to make it all about people, 
right? When we're trying to win somebody to Christ, it's all you, 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 right? But the gospel isn't all about us, right? Paul calls it the gospel of his dear son, Jesus Christ. And the gospel is really about him, what he did, who he is, his righteousness, his holiness, you know, his death, burial, and resurrection. And when we make it all about us, it becomes dangerous because all people want to do is they just want to come in and they want to ease their conscience. So if they can say a prayer, if they can confess something, right, that makes them feel like their burdens have been taken away, that's all they really need, and then you never see them in church again, right? But the gospel that Paul talked about, it was a gospel that you could not get away from, a gospel that, that, that changed your life. It didn't change your life, it gave you life, right? And that's the gospel that we want to preach today. I think one of the, the first things that we do wrong with the gospel is we don't appreciate it. We don't appreciate it like we should. Can you say honestly today in this church that you that you appreciate the gospel in full as much as you as you should? You wake up every day in the new mercies of God and you just you praise God for his goodness, right? For his spiritual blessings that he gives you. I, I've gotten there good, right? I've gotten to the point where sometimes it becomes so nonchalant, right? It, it doesn't become new, it's not fresh. And the thing is, is we talk about it like it's just normal, right? Like it's something like, you know, do you take out the trash? Yes. Did you do the dishes? Yes. Did you get saved? Yeah. You know, it's just one of those things that we do. And as long as we take care of it, that's all that we, that's all that we leave it as. But it's so much more. The fact that an all righteous, holy God became sin for you, that you might be made the righteousness of God is not something that is normal. That is something that is crazy, out of this world, indescribable. And we ought to appreciate it. Like that, right? And I think that that's what we've gotten away from. You know, Psalms 103, the psalm that says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. When's the last time you blessed God with all that was within you? In prayer, by yourself, with no one else around, shaking, just praising God, right? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. God gives us so many benefits. He gives us a home. Gives you those nice cushy chairs we were talking about before, amen. We used to have we used to have hard wooden pews. You remember those? But they kept you awake in church, amen. All his benefits, all his benefits, right? Who healeth all thine diseases, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, right? Who redeemeth, this is my favorite part about it, who redeemeth thy life from destruction. You know what my life was before Christ? It was destruction. My ways were full of misery, they're full of deceit of contempt, and God redeemed me from that. Psalms 40 says that I cried unto the Lord, right? I waited patiently unto the Lord, and he heard my cry. You ever heard a newborn cry? They're so cute, but it's like a screech that just pierces your eardrum. It's terrible, and they don't stop, right? And it's like, when I, when I think of the word cry, right? He has heard my cry. I wonder what we sound like to God sometimes, right? When he hears our cry. We probably sound like a little two-year-old just crying out for him, right? But he heard my cry. He said he brought me up out of a horrible pit. Before you were saved, you were in a horrible pit. After I was saved, I found myself in a horrible pit, right? Living a life of sin, living a life for myself, waking up in your own vomit, right? Wicked, just destructive ways. God brought you out of that, out of what he calls the miry clay. You know what he does? He sets your feet upon a rock. You see, all other ground is sinking sand. You watch people try to establish their life with the things of this world. It looks like they're walking through quicksand, right? But God, what God does is when you get saved, man, he, he gives you something to plant your feet upon that you can trust, right? Set my feet upon a rock and establish my goals. That's what Christ did to me through the gospel. 
and I'm thankful for it, right? We ought to be thankful for it every single day of our lives. You know what Paul said in Romans chapter 11? He said, oh, the depth and riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out, right? You know why he said that? Because he tried to search it out. He tried to, he tried to wrap his head around this thing called the gospel. And he goes, you know what? I can't. When's the last time that you stood in awe of the gospel? When's the last time that you by yourself at your house, looking at yourself in the mirror, thought, what a mighty God that he would redeem a poor, wretched sinner like me. The depth and riches. You know what John said? See, the, the disciples, they used adjectives when they worship God. John said, oh, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Oh, what manner of love. It's a love this world does not know, right? I'm a son of God this morning. I'm a sinless saint. That's indescribable. That's something that you should not get over, right? And praise the Lord for that. Second Corinthians chapter five here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you think of this gospel, man, we do not appreciate it. Verse 14, Paul says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live, not, that they which live should not live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. The first part of that verse, what does Paul say? He said, The love of Christ constraineth me. What constrains you? Right? What constrains you this morning? Is it the gospel? You see, Christians, man, they get out of church because the pastor didn't call on them enough times to pray. Or they get out of church because they don't like how it looks, or the song leader doesn't go like this, he goes like this, right? They leave, they leave God, right, for the silliest reasons. What's constraining them? It's not the love of Christ, right? You know why I come to church? You know why I try to stay faithful to God? It's not for people. It's not for attention, it's because what God did for me compels me through his love to try to give my life for him, to try to give my life for him. If his love constrains me, right? You have these people, they, they shop around at churches because they want to figure out the right feel, right? Well, this church, they did this to me, and this church, they did this to me, and it's all about me. Listen, I do not care about myself. I come here because the love of Christ constrains me. He is more than enough, right? He is more than enough. And that's what the gospel is. It constrains us. And you know, what, what, is this, what does the hymnist say? He said, though no one join me, still I will follow. Still I will follow. I have decided to follow Jesus. Look at this next verse in 15. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. We talked about in the first hour, right? At the judgment seat of Christ. He's going to judge what you've done, good or bad, in this body. In this body body. All this is, right? This is a carcass, man. This is a carcass. And, and my soul is sitting in this car carcass, and all it is is a vehicle until I die. That's all it is, a vehicle for my soul and spirit until I die. And God's going to examine the things that I have done in this body. You know what Paul said? He said, know ye not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you, right? When you have been saved by this gospel, your life, your life dissolves in itself, and it becomes completely Christ's, right? We should not henceforth live unto themselves. Let me ask you this question. Are you living unto yourself? When you come home from work, are you living for yourself? Weekends, are you living for yourself, right? That Saturday morning comes, are you living for yourself? The world is dying and it's going to hell. And Christians, man, we're relaxing vacationing, right? 
traveling, doing all these things while the world is dying for us? Are you living for yourself or are you living for Jesus Christ? Do we really understand the gospel, right? Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2 says, You have been quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, right? The prince of power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. He said, he said, all you did was you lived to fulfill the desires of your flesh and of your mind, right? Of your flesh and of your mind. I hope that we do not fall into that category, to live unto ourselves. You know, the most catastrophic thing would be to stand before Jesus at Judgment Day and him to look at us and say, I died for you, but you could not live for me. What a terrible thing that would be to say. Are you living a life that was worth Christ dying for? You living a life that was worth Christ dying for. That's the true question, right? We also talk about the salvation, like I said before. We talk about it like it's just something that is time past, right? I got saved when I was seven years old, but let me tell you what, right? If it weren't for Jesus Christ, I would not still be saved, right? My salvation is as real today as it was the day when I was seven years old and knelt down on the couch with my mom in a trailer in Oak Island and asked Jesus to save me. My salvation is as real today as it ever was. Because you know what? I tried to ruin it yesterday. I tried to ruin it this morning. But the precious blood of Jesus, every time I try to throw sins in that book that would one day judge me, Jesus' blood is still there. And it's still paid for. When you wake up, look, your salvation is not something that you took care of a long time ago. It is something that you are standing in right now. Paul says the grace wherein we stand. Right now, a sinner. See, Christians, I've always said this, they act like they're cheese. They act like they just ate, get better with age. Over time, we just get better. Look, I am, my, my, my lost man is still as lost and wicked and as old and undeserving at it as it ever was. It was Christ who changed everything. My salvation is as real today as it ever was. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 1. You've all heard this, but let me tell you what I can tell you from experience. We need to remind ourselves of these things every day. Because we forget what God has done in our life. We forget how real it is. Right? You remember the feeling when you just got saved? That feeling of freedom, like a burden was just lifted off. You should feel that every single day. It should come to you. God's mercies are new every single morning. And you should praise Him for that. I get saved every day. Every day I get saved. Not that in, not in the sense that I've lost it, but that I could lose it, but Jesus Christ is still there. Ephesians chapter 1, right, in verse 13. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. I love that. There's no baptism in there. There's no works. There's no additions. It says, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And it says in here in verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. You know what earnest means? A lot of people think it means desire. What it really means is a down payment. You put an earnest on something. What's so amazing to me, and you should never get over this, is that when, when a sinner is in a room and they, and they kneel down and they ask Jesus Christ to save them, right? If they confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in their heart that God hath raised them from the dead, they are saved. The God of heaven, right, takes his Holy Spirit and he puts a down payment on that individual. And it's a down payment. And what Jesus pays for, he's going to get his return on, right? Until the redemption of the purchased possession. In Jesus Christ, he paid for me. I was the only thing that Jesus ever had to buy. He paid for me, and, and every day of my life, I cannot lose this. It does not fade away, right? 
what is um what does Peter say in First Peter chapter one? It says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope." It's a lively hope. You ever look at a dead church and you're like, you guys realize that your hope is a lively one, right? It's something you should be excited about. It says, "To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled." How many times have I tried to defy my salvation? Time and time again. Time and time again. It says that fadeth not not away, reserved in heaven for you. It's reserved in heaven. Peter also says, he says, being born uh, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. You see, when you plant a seed in the ground, right, God says, except, except it die, it can't bring forth fruit. The cool thing is God put in me a spiritual seed, and it's still in the soil. Right, And occasionally it brings forth fruit, but I'm not going to see the full plant. It's not going to fully sprout until I shed off this body and then I enter glory and I'm going to have the fullness of what my salvation actually is. But that is something that is reserved for me. It cannot change. Right? Do we really appreciate this gospel? Do we appreciate it? You're, you're, you're no more deserving today than you were the day that you got saved. Do we appreciate this gospel? Right? Go back with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3. To grasp it, you really got to go to Paul's epistles. Because, you know, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, okay? You know, nothing was given through any kind of private interpretation. But at the same time, if you read Paul's letters to the churches, all it really is is a testimony to the change that happened in Paul's life because of the gospel. See, Christians, we look at it, we look at it like it's some kind of, oh my goodness, see, it helps, right? We look, we look at it like it's insurance. Okay, I work in insurance, all right? It's what people call a necessary evil, right? You don't want to have it, but you have to have it in case something bad happens. You know, we look at our salvation like it's insurance. It's a necessary evil, right? We just take care of it so that we don't have to worry about going to the place called hell. But we don't, you know, to, to Paul, salvation was more than just a sense of security. It was his life. You talk about Paul, his, his, his idea of hell. He said, I wish I could be accursed for my brother's sake, according to the flesh. He said, I would go to hell if it would save my brothers in the flesh, the Israel of God. That's how Paul thought about it. Heaven was so much more to him than just being saved from hell. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, he's talking to Timothy. He says, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions. You see, that's what the gospel was to Paul. It encompassed every aspect of his life, right? It wasn't just, I'm saved from hell. It was, it was, it was, it was everything of, of who he was, right? Everything that he was. But God forbid that I should glory saving the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, for me to live is Christ, for me to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. But the gain that Paul was talking about was not just, I'm not going to hell. See, the problem with the Christian is we're so far detached from God that we think that the gain that we have is the fact that we're just not going to burn, but there's so much more than that, right? Paul said, I fought the good fight of faith. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. That was the gain that Paul was talking about. The gain that we were talking about this morning when God's going to examine our whole Christian life and he's going to pass it through the fire. Are we going to have gain? Paul says, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain because I'm going to obtain something on the other side. Do you have any gain on the other side is the question. Do you have anything more to gain than, than just not going to hell, right? Because that's truly what the gospel is. It's so much more than what we think it is.
so much more. I love what he says. He says, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. It's far better to be with Christ. Oh, if we could just live live with this in mind. You think about at Paul, he says, you know, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. He goes, the only reason I want to stay in this body is to serve it. What did Jesus say? He says, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me. He goes, my sustenance, the being, the very state of everything I am is to do the will of the Father. Can you testify to that? That the only reason you are on earth, the only thing that gets you through, the only thing that helps you to, to maintain until death is to do the will of God. Can you say that? Is it that much to you? You know what did Jesus say? Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant. We are here to serve. That's why we're here. God's going on judgment day. God's going to examine two things, our work and our labor, our work and our labor. Do we have any work for God to examine? Do we have any labor for God to examine? Right? What do we consider those things, right? I praise the Lord that he's not unrighteous to forget our work and labor of love. Isn't that amazing? God's, the only thing we have to glory in is Christ, and yet he's still going to give us rewards for it. It's absolutely amazing, right? Number one, we do not appreciate this gospel. Go with me to Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one. Again, a very familiar verse. We were just here this morning, but Romans chapter one. We'll start reading in verse 13. I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am a debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. You see, a lot of people, when it comes to witnessing, we think we're doing God a favor. We're in debt to the world. We are in debt to the world. Right. Number one, we don't appreciate the gospel, and it testifies that we don't understand it. But number two, it testifies that we don't appreciate and know what the gospel is because we do not preach it. We do not preach it. Right. Paul said he was a debtor. When you look at that man on the street, when you look at that woman, right, walking, when you see that person that you, the Holy Spirit leads you to witness to, you are in debt to give that person the gospel. You know what Paul said? He said, I'm clean from the blood of all men. That is insane. Right. Paul took that debt very seriously. And he didn't discriminate, right? He didn't discriminate. He said, I'm a debtor to the, to the wise and to the unwise, to the Democrat, to the Republican, right? To the transgender, homosexual, right? Red and yellow, black and white. I'm a debtor to every person to give them this gospel, right? But we, we, we discriminate. God says, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? But we, we discriminate, right? We, we wait till people are, we, we judge them by their sin and we deem them unworthy of everlasting life. Right? That is not the heartbeat of the gospel. But we don't preach it. Right? We don't preach this gospel. Are you ready? Do you have tracks on you at all times? Are you ready to witness? We're so ready to talk about sports, entertainment, politics, coronavirus. We're so ready to talk about so many things. God, help us that we do not have the gospel on our lips. This is the best day to be a Christian. It's the best day you could ever be a Christian. Are we ready to preach the gospel? Do we fully understand it, right? If you had the cure to cancer and your friend or your brother was dying, would you give it to them? Let me tell you this. People have been dying of sin for 6,000 years. And Christians have the cure, yet we give it to no one. We give it to no one. When's the last person you told, when's the last time you told somebody you did not know about Jesus Christ? 
And I'll ask it again. When's the last time you told somebody that you did know about the Lord Jesus Christ? We would ask ourselves these questions, right? People are constantly trying to figure out, how do I help the church? Tell people about Jesus Christ. That's how you help the church. People are dying and going to hell. Are you ready to preach the gospel? In verse 15, so much as in me, so much as in, in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Go with me to Acts. Go with me to Acts. Hold your place in Romans, but go to Acts chapter 16. You guys have heard all these stories before, but they're so good. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Verse 25. We'll go back. We'll start in verse 17. The same followed Paul in us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which shew unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days, but Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. When her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace and to the rulers, and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city, and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. When they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. So they preached Christ, and guess what happened? They were stripped naked, beat, thrown into prison, not just into prison, but the inner part where their feet were held fast in the stocks, right? But it says in verse 25, And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. You know that people are hearing things you say? During these times, people are listening to the things you say. People are listening to the things you say. What kind of testimony, right? This gospel, we don't preach it, right? I would hate to stand before God and he says, man, you talk more about this virus in the last days before the rapture. You could have been saving so many souls, but you were so concerned with the things of this flesh that, that people died and went to hell because of it. The prisoners heard them. People are listening to the church. They're listening to the church things say, the things church say. And the church needs to have the gospel on our lips. The gospel. Nothing else can save people. My opinion cannot save people, right? My logic cannot save people. Jesus Christ saves people. Verse 26, And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loose, and the keeper of the prison, awakening out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had fled. He drew out a sword. He was about to commit suicide. Verse 28, But Paul cried, Naked, beaten Paul cried with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. You know what, Paul, after a long night in the prison, after all these events had occurred, he was concerned with one thing, and that was the soul of a dying man. He said, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Look, you know what? The day that I'll know that my witness is strong enough is when a lost person comes to me and asks me, what must I do to be saved? 
If they're not doing that, then we're not giving a proper presentation of the gospel, right? People are listening all around you, and they're watching your testimony, and they are like this jailer. They're losing hope, right? And they're at the brink of death. They need somebody to turn to who, who they can say, what must I do to be saved? If we have this gospel, what are we doing with it? Right? We don't appreciate it. We don't preach it. What are we doing with this gospel? Lastly, like we said, go back with me to Romans chapter 1. We're ashamed of it. You say, I'm not ashamed. All right. Right? All right. Go out and tell this world about Jesus. I've been ashamed of the gospel before. We've all been Peter. Either we've denied him by words or we've denied him by works, right? We've all done that before. Why are we so ashamed of the gospel? Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? It's the power of God unto salvation, right? To everyone that believeth. There's nobody that this thing cannot save. Why are we ashamed of this gospel, right? Go with me to Isaiah 53. Hold your place in, hold your place in Romans. Go to Isaiah 53. We've read this before. Yeah, we've read it before a million times, but it's so good, right? Isaiah 53, verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Has anybody grieved this morning? Have you ever had grief in your life? Jesus bore that to the cross. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded, right? We thought it was his fault that this was happening. The Jews thought it was for his crimes. The Gentiles thought it was for his crimes, right? We, we esteemed him smitten of God. But in verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of, his, of us all. God took the iniquity, the unfathomable. See, see, we, we only see surface level evil. We don't go into the deepest, darkest parts of the world where people actually live in those environments. God took the iniquity of us all and laid it upon Christ, right? Think about, think about all the times that you sinned against God. Think about all those secret sins that people don't even know about, right? Those were on Christ. Those were put on Christ. When he was beaten, it was for my secrets. When he, when he was beaten, it was for my sin right? It was for the things that I have done. Every sin that I can think of that I still have in my, in my mind of remembrance, those were on Christ and he took it from me. Verse 7, he was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He, brought as, he was brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears was dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off of the land of the living for the transgression of my people was he stricken, and he made his grave with the wicked. And with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. See, we're ashamed of Christ, right? We're okay if somebody asks us if we're a Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian. You know what I'm saying? We're okay with the service level stuff, but to go out boldly into this world and declare Christ, we're ashamed of that. The old man hates it because Christ means the death of the old man. But we are scared to endure the shame of men 
when our Lord and Savior endured the shame of God for us. See, the shame of God is something I'm never going to have to experience. When I stand before God, he's going to see Christ and Christ's righteousness alone, right? But yet I will not endure the shame of man for my Savior. Why are we so ashamed? Christ was not ashamed of me when he carried that cross, when he was bruised and, and crucified, right? Before he gave up the ghost, he was not ashamed of me. Why are we so ashamed of Christ? Right, that is the gospel. That is the gospel. In closing here, if you go with me to Mark chapter 14, Mark chapter 14, verse 3. We'll start reading in verse 1. After two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread, and the chief priests and scribes saw how they might take him by craft and put him to death. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leopard, he sat at meat. There came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment, of spikenard, very precious, very precious. She broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor, and they murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will may, ye may do them good, but me ye have not always. She hath done what she could. I like that. She hath done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. You know what this lady had? She was poor. She was just a woman, right? A Jewish woman. She had nothing else, right? But she came to Christ and she gave him everything that she had, the most valuable part that she had in her life, right? She gave to Christ. That is the gospel. That's what the gospel is going to do for you, right? The man who died for me, I'm going to give all to him. But the problem is so many Christians, man, we have this alabaster box and we're just holding it, right? We hold it against God, and we just cherish the precious things of our life. When the most precious thing to us should be Christ, that is the gospel, right? And if this church is going to have revival, if we're going to see souls saved, then we don't have to just, we have to do more than just believe this gospel. We have to live it out in our lives. So I would encourage you, right? If you're holding back a part of your life that is precious to you, you need to give it all to Christ, right? It's very, It's a very simple message, but it's all that we have, right? I'll say it again. Sammy Allen, one of the greatest preachers I've ever known, his funeral, just watching that, watching that old man, all he did, he was just seen as a foolish old preacher, laying in that casket, that old carcass, right? He wasn't there, but that old carcass was just sitting in that, that casket that's going straight to the grave. All that's going to matter for that man when he appears before Christ is what he has done for him. And he lived his life according to the gospel, right? What are we concerned about? What are we thinking about today, right? Have we given our all to Christ? That's the question, and that's the gospel. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you again so much for today. Thank you for everything that you've done. I don't deserve to stand up here. I don't deserve to say I'm a Christian. I don't deserve any of these things, God. But because of your grace, because of the grace of God, I am what I am. And Lord, I praise you. I thank you for what you did on the cross. Lord, I pray for this world. I pray for the people out there like the jailer who have no hope. Lord, they're at the brink of death. They have no other purpose. I pray, Lord, that we would be like Paul, concerned with the souls of those around us, that we would 
that we would not hold this gift, that we would not hide this light, but that we would give it to people, Lord. That is my prayer for this church. That's my prayer for these people. Lord, we praise you in all things. We thank you in all things, Lord. We pray that you give us a great rest of the day. In Jesus' name, amen.